You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Writing for you. And if you want to know how it is that you can endure, then I hope and pray that um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 will help you that God's word will be food to you to nourish you and a refreshment to your soul. We're going to read just the first six verses. Um, I think actually we'll, 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 let's just have a treat and let's read the whole thing. And we're going to study the first six verses this evening. And we'll pray first. Heavenly Father, uh, we of ourselves in our flesh... Uh, can be uh, terrifically clever with words and yet utterly and totally powerless both to really comprehend and do your word. So we pray for your Spirit's help, that your Spirit might teach us and plant your word deep within us and cause your word to work in our hearts. And this we pray so that we might continue to follow Jesus, and continue to do his will, and continue to find all our hope and all our strength in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we'll read um, the whole of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 together. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, and we'll, we'll, when we start looking at the first six verses, we'll know what he means by that, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. 
And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, as we have noted, 2 Corinthians is a tremendously personal letter. Uh, Paul wears his heart on his sleeve uh, in the letter. We um, have just such an astonishing uh, openness about how he feels and what motivates him and what his ministry is like. Uh, Because Paul is, if you like, laying out the, the authenticity of his ministry. There are those who have come to Corinth, and uh, they are sort of uh, super apostles, reassuring they're expensive, they charge high fees, they've got highfalutin hairdos and white shiny teeth and all the rest of it, and they've been very convincing and very plausible. They're great at oratory, and uh, they have been hoodwinking um, many in the church in Corinth, who themselves, we learn from the first letter, were pretty immature in, in their Christian lives. They've been hoodwinking them into uh, following a different way from the way that Paul and his companions taught the gospel. And part of doing that has has involved discrediting Paul. And so again and again, uh, he, he wants them to see that he has been real and true and authentic and genuine amongst them. And what he has done has been done by God's power and not his own. Been done in God's strength, not his. So that their faith um, might rest on Spirit's power and not on Paul, as he wrote in his first letter. Uh, So having uh, begun a defense of his ministry so that his gospel will be preserved in the minds and the lives of the Corinthians and therefore preached in Corinth by them, he has begun to talk about the ministry of the, the glorious new covenant over against the, the Moses law, the Mosaic law. And that's been a characteristic of what he said he has been doing. When he's tried to, to, to get them to understand what his ministry was all about, he's couched it in those terms. If you flick back over to chapter 3, um, just verse 4, we'll read it from there. Um, he, he, he wants them to remember that that their life as a church, as individual Christians, but as a church together, is, is, is written by the Spirit. It's been done, worked, created by the Spirit. Um, and uh, he's not claiming any uh, particular power of his own for that. Um, but what he is talking about is, verse 6, he has made us competent. God has made us competent. Not we ourselves, not, not through our oratory, not through our plausibility, not through our smoothness or whatever. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of 
a new covenant, not of the letter, Mosaic law, Ten Commandments, etc., but of the Spirit who brings life. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then from 7 on, he expands on what this ministry of the new covenant is. And we thought about that the last time we were looking at 2 Corinthians together on a Sunday evening. And how glorious this ministry is. And so that's what's feeding into chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we have this ministry of the new covenant, we have this ministry of the gospel that Jesus Christ has fulfilled on your behalf as one of you everything that you owe to God. So that everything that that God looks for from human beings, rightly looks for, justly looks for everything that God looks for that it is entirely right and proper for God to look for and has never ever found from any human being and pointedly never from his people consistently and from their hearts he has received from one man Jesus Christ in whom through whose obedience and righteousness all the Mosaic law has been fulfilled. So we get to preach Christ and him crucified where on the cross all our unrighteousness with respect to God, all our breaking of his law, all our rebellion against him, all our waywardness, all our unrighteousness was laid upon Christ And all his righteousness, all his perfect obedience was made over to us. So we get to preach Christ crucified. The letter of the law just kept killing people because it it, it was a it became a, a source of rebellion to them. God says, Don't do something, our sinful nature immediately makes us want to do it. The letter kills. And then that law stands over against you, condemning you in the courtroom, so to speak. So the letter, the Mosaic law, it just kills you. But ministering the gospel in the power of the Spirit gives life because the Spirit gives the faith in Christ in response to the preaching of the good news. So this is the ministry that he's had. This is the ministry of the new covenant not the old covenant that was broken and stood, stood against us all as, 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 a, as, a, as a condemnation, but the new covenant, everything fulfilled in Christ. Jesus Christ, your righteousness. From first to last. Life not um, sort of lived before God in trembling fear because you know, maybe he's going to turn against you and you haven't been good enough and, and you look at him and think, I, I don't deserve that. No, of course you don't, but life lived by faith in Christ who has done everything for you. That's the new covenant that he's been preaching. And as we look at these, the, the, these verses together this evening, particularly the first six, what we're seeing is, is the way that that functioned in Paul's own heart. And in the hearts of his companions, we do not lose heart, he says in verse 1. And he, he pulls that together um, out again um, in, uh, in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
If this whole passage is about not losing heart, it's bracketed in the first verse and the 16th verse. The chapter is bracketed by that phrase. If the whole chapter is about enduring, it is enduring in suffering. Because to preach this gospel has cost Paul and his companions. Now we get some of that cost in the middle of, 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 the, of the chapter. Uh, as he talks about the trials and the difficulties that they've suffered. Uh, particularly from verse 8 following. He's going to talk about it more in chapter 6. Great endurance, troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, understanding, patience and kindness, glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as posters, imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. So that's why I say that this, this chapter as a whole, and, and as we're launching into it in the first six verses this evening, it, it, it's there as Paul saying how he and his companions have kept going in the gospel. And it's sort of a, a sort of a, you know, look, this is how you're going to keep going. And for any tonight um, who are feeling a bit, a bit like the, uh, the, the people in the psalm. That you go out bearing seeds, and, 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 and kind of, but you're doing it with tears. You're doing it with a heavy heart. You're doing it with grief in your heart. So you're going out and living the Christian life, and you're sharing the word of God. You're sowing that seed, but you're not doing it, you sort of, you know, it, here I am, an advert of Christianity by my fantastic life, and everything is glorious. And my, you know, I've got a grin as broad as anything on my face, and I'm constantly smiling, and you always know how happy I am. Not at all. You're going out into the world, bearing the seed of God's word, ministering the gospel in all sorts of ways, being fruitful for him in all sorts of ways, and your heart is breaking. And your life is mince. And you feel weighed down. And you've got questions you can't answer. And you know that the Christian life is not delusional. And you know that being a good Christian is not a matter of sort of just putting on a brave face. But all that isn't going to stop you from going out into the world with the good news of the gospel. So it, it's, it's endurance in that service of God. Endurance in fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, endurance in going out into the world to make a difference by bearing the gospel. Endurance when you're suffering for doing that. Endurance when you're suffering and nonetheless doing that. So uh, here's the first thing that keeps Paul going. Um, and what keeps him going is actually the content and the real power of his ministry, this ministry of the new covenant. Now, I've already read in chapter 3 that the power for doing this doesn't come from him. It comes from the Spirit. Uh, it's the Spirit who gives life. It's God who's made them competent to do this. All of that comes from God. 
So the effect of it is from God, but um, it, it's also the, 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 the content of it. So here's the first thing about how you keep going in the Christian life. Don't ever take your eye off the gospel. Don't ever take your eye off the wonders and the glory and the, just the radiant brilliance of what the gospel is. It's easy, isn't it, to, um, to view going on in the Christian life as sort of moving away from the gospel. The gospel is the message that you heard and by God's grace and power you understood in order to become a Christian. And then when you've become a Christian, you don't need the gospel anymore because then you're growing. <laughs> or you have evangelism and the gospel and maybe four things you need to know or whatever. Or the bridge or the, you know, the Roman road or whatever. You hear a gospel presentation, two ways to live, something like that. Christianity explored something. And then you become a Christian. And you don't need that anymore because you become a Christian. What you need now is teaching. So then you get all the other stuff coming in. And you move away. You seem to sort of outgrow the gospel. That's sort of just an intellectual daftness because you never outgrow the gospel. You never move away from it. So we'll see in a moment or two. Or um, you, you have a kind of a... A fleshly moving away from the gospel. Uh, by which I mean that you hear the gospel, you hear of all that Christ has done for you, you hear of, that he has done for you what you could never ever have done for yourself by taking away your sin upon the cross. And all that he has with the Father, that relationship and that fellowship with the Father, all that openness and transparency with the Father is yours now. And you know that you need Jesus. And you know that you don't just need Jesus to get through this life. You need Jesus to be right with God. And there's no other way that you're ever going to stand before God in heaven except for Jesus. And so you trust Jesus. And for a while, you're just thrilled with Jesus and with the gospel. And your keenest evangelists are always your youngest Christians. Because you're just so thrilled with it, you can't keep quiet about it. And God has made such a change in your life, and you've got such joy and such newness that you can't shut up. So you become a Christian, and you're thrilled, and you're such an encouragement to all the other tired old Christians who think oh no <laughs> it's just so refreshing and then after a while you learn the ropes uh, after a while you, you learn how to function in a Christian fellowship and you learn the do's and don'ts and little social rules and all the rest of it and you learn the things to say and the things not to say and uh, you, you, you start to what do you start to do? you start to produce a life which is outwardly uh, conforming to the people around you. And simultaneously you begin to discover how hard it is to keep living the Christian life. And what happens then is that the flesh kicks in. You started out by faith in Christ, 
And after a while, you start living according to your own flesh, according to your own works. So you think, okay, Jesus is great for my justification. Now it's up to me to sanctify myself and make myself righteous with God. And what we do is we, we, we turn the right and proper need for Christian obedience into a new law, into a new Mosaic covenant. So we actually stop functionally carrying on according to the new covenant, that is faith in Christ who is our righteousness, and functionally, though we would never ever say this because we know it's the wrong thing to say, functionally we start living according to the old Mosaic law again. So, okay, God might have picked me up, but now it's up to me to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and keep myself going. And it's up to me to keep myself in God's good books. And law overtakes grace. And works overtake faith. And we move away from the gospel. And the gospel no longer keeps us going. The gospel no longer thrills us. The gospel is no longer the thing that puts a smile on our face in the way that it used to. And so, instead of the gospel being, I think I mentioned before in Tim Keller's phrase, the A to Z of the Christian life, the gospel sadly becomes just the ABC. And what happens then you're trying to keep yourself going with your own effort. And then you start to suffer as a Christian. Uh, And life begins to get tough for you as a Christian. And the excitement and the newness of it wears off. And your own effort, frankly, is just not going to help you endure. And if you've sunk into that sort of justification by works and that kind of keeping yourself right with God by what you do, then you've, you've, you've entered subliminally into some kind of unspoken contract with God, which is if I keep going, you've got to make life easy for me. If I keep turning up, if I keep you know, knocking my pan out here, then, then you've, you, it's actually your duty to, in return to make life easy and good for me. And we all know that that's not how it happens, is it? In fact, as you get older, life can become more difficult. The multiplication of pains in your life, physical and emotional and relational, the opportunities to just cave in with anxiety, increase. I mean, at a practical level, you get caught between your kids and your aging parents. And there are all sorts of other trials that, that make life actually more difficult as you get older. You begin to discover the depth of your own corruption. Things which were never a problem for you before start to become a problem for you. 
temptations that you never thought you would encounter, you suddenly begin to encounter. You suddenly start to find yourself being a bit grumpy and a bit of a Victor Meldrew. This is for men. I'm sure there are corresponding um, problems that women face, but I, I just didn't even mention them. So, um, so what's going to keep you going? And what's going to keep you going when people keep rejecting the gospel? When you, you, over a while, you, you've been praying for somebody at work or in your family or whatever, and they just keep saying no to everything and anything that's got anything to do with it. You, know, you keep inviting them to stuff over again, and they just keep saying no to it. Or you, know, you get into a, a really good conversation, that's capital G, capital C, one of those good conversations, and it just goes nowhere. Or well, they turn around and say to you, listen, great, I love working with you, but please just keep that religion out of it. We just don't want to know any more about it. Don't believe in your God. In fact, I've got a lot of complaints against your God, so just keep it out. You want to endure. And what Paul is saying in these first six verses, in summary, is simply that because we have this ministry... We keep going. God has given it to us. It's God's message because of what God has done. And God makes it work. We do not lose heart. We don't resort to um, the world's ways to try and make God's stuff work. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We keep going because we have this ministry through God's mercy. The gospel itself and being able to share it, minister it, still captivates Paul after all these years, after all this hardship, after all this rejection, after all this suffering after all those times when God has not kept the contract, so to speak, he is still thrilled at being able to minister life through the Spirit according to the Gospel. He still sees it a wonderful act of God's mercy that he has it. No credits to himself, No, see how much I've endured. No, see how much I've done for you, Lord. None of the the other brother in the parable of um, uh, of the prodigal son. It's just an absolute amazing thing that God has been merciful enough to me, for me to have heard and known the gospel and be able to speak the gospel and minister life through the Spirit. Minister Jesus in whom God's new covenant promises are fulfilled. Minister the one who is righteous for us from first to last. Minister the one that we can trust and must trust from the first day until the last day. Minister the grace of the one who will bring us home. Minister forgiveness in Jesus. Minister relief for burdened sinners. 
It is just such a wonderful gospel, such a wonderful message, such a wonderful Jesus that I don't lose heart. That's what he's saying. And he knows that even when it's rejected, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He's not going to beat himself up every time somebody says, no, I'm not interested. Because he knows that that's just a spiritual reality of things. That, that, that when the gospel is rejected, it's not because the gospel is weak. It's not because his servants of the gospel are weak. It's because there's a hardness in the heart that will not receive it. Interesting is, just a little aside, just, just, take, just take note of how seriously Paul describes the condition of those who reject the gospel. He does not say they will perish because they have rejected the gospel. He says they have rejected the gospel because they are perishing. Perishing is something you do your whole life long. And that, that rebellion against God, that sort of living death, means you will reject the gospel. There is a pre condition perishing which stops people it kind of veils it hides it from them and then Paul says something very interesting you see um, because you would think that um, success in the work of the gospel or the likelihood of success would, would might keep you going um, but I said it's the content of the gospel, the new covenant that he's been ministering, um, and it's also the way the gospel works that keeps Paul going. Paul is under no illusions whatsoever about the absolute impossibility of the task that God has given him. And as a fellowship, St. Peter's, as each of you as individual believers, God has called you to do the very thing that you can't do. Verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They can't even see it. So God asks you to go to people who are blind and show them something in the hope that they will see it and respond to it. And you say, but, but they're blind. And he says, yes, exactly, on you go. But, uh, but they'll never get it. No, of course they won't. On you go. I can't do that. No, of course you can't. On you go. Get out there. Do it. You and I are called to do the impossible. Except, of course, what is impossible for us? Totally possible for God. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, they can't see Jesus in the gospel as being glorious. They can't see the good news of the glory of Jesus being revealed to us. He is Lord and Savior. He is victor. He is the coming one. They cannot see how glorious Jesus is. They cannot see how the gospel makes Jesus even more glorious than you ever thought you could have seen him as being. The gospel speaks to us of a Jesus who leaves all the glory of heaven and comes to this earth as one of us, born, fully man, fully God, 
taking our flesh upon himself so that as one of us, he could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and live every single moment with not one second of rebellion against the Father in his heart, not one second of sinfulness in his heart. And then take all our sin upon himself so that the Son of God who knew no sin became sin for us. The glory of that obedience, the glory of that love, the glory of his conquering death, the glory of his resurrection, the glory of his victory over the grave, the glory that he receives now as the victorious one in heaven, the glory of the one who will come again and whose kingship, whose glorious, outshining kingship will be seen by everybody so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The gospel says Jesus Christ is glorious. And in saying Jesus Christ is glorious, it is making Jesus more obscure to people who what? To people who want to be glorious themselves. And to people whose eyes have been blinded by the God of this age who is going to be nothing but a loser if people see the glory of Jesus. So as the gospel that we proclaim tells out the glory of Jesus, that very thing becomes the veil that blinds people. I don't want Jesus to be glorious. I don't want Jesus to get the glory. I want the glory, thank you very much indeed. I want the God of this age to get the glory. I want all our achievements to get the glory, all our cleverness, all our sophistication, all our capacity for self-improvement to get the glory. I want me to get the glory. Not Jesus. The more you go on about how good he is, the less I want to do with him because I want the credit. That's how sin works. That's how the God of this age works. See, God has asked you to do something which, if I can put it like this, it makes its own success inherently less likely. So if you go out with a watered-down false gospel, if you go out with the gospel of, hey, you're wonderful, that's why Jesus loves you, if you go out with the gospel and says you're, you're absolutely unique, you're special, you're glorious just because you're you and that's why God loves you. If you go out with a gospel that says, hey, nobody's perfect and I just really want to affirm you in everything you're doing, in all your choices and say that God is here to affirm you also. If you go out with some kind of soft, pukey gospel not just watered down, but, but rendered simply an expression of the triumph of the human spirit, then you won't offend anybody. And nobody's eyes are going to be blinded to that, are they? People are going to see that and say, yes, I like that. Ooh, that makes me feel good. I don't like all that horrible stuff about sin. I don't even want to hear the word sin. I don't want anything. I don't want to hear that word. Affirm me.
tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm better than the people who knocked me in. Tell me that God couldn't do anything but love a person like me. Tell me that. And you won't suffer. You won't face opposition. You're not threatening the God of this age. You're not threatening the God that is self. You can be mighty successful. But you're not preaching the gospel. You're not preaching the new covenant. You're not preaching good news that glorifies Christ. You're preaching a myth that glorifies sinners. Like what we all are. You see, Paul doesn't mind the fact that God has sent him out to do the impossible. Verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. I mean, like, wasn't Genesis 1, 1 pretty impossible? Wasn't it pretty impossible that light would shine out of darkness from nowhere? But God said it and it happened that's power that really is power no extra stuff had to be done you're like me saying words come on the screen nothing you know let there be light I mean, that's, that's power. To make light shine out of nothing. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. For the God who is the creator, he has that same power to let his light shine in our hearts. So that by that light we know the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the very thing that that as unbelievers, verse 4, we could not see and we were blind to. Gospel of the glory of God who is the image of glory of Christ who is the image of God is the very thing. The very thing that we saw. And it was God who did it. God calls you to do the impossible. But that's all right, because nothing's impossible with him. So we preach Christ as Lord, and God opens blind eyes, like he did for each of us. It was God who opened your eyes. And what he did for you, he can do for anyone he wants to do it for. And just the wonder of this, just the sheer wonder of this, was such a treasure, such a treasure to Paul, that it kept him going. It was such a jewel. It was such 
a radiant, shining treasure in his heart. Like, you know, like Iron Man with the glowing thing there, for those of you who've seen Iron Man 1, 2, and 3. It's useful to have a young teenage son, which gives you an excuse for watching these movies. There's just like something glowing there in his heart. That keeps me going. The wonder of what God has called me to proclaim and the wonder of seeing God do it. And there are at least three other things in the passage in the chapter that keep Paul going and by God's grace we will benefit from those. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that the wonder of the gospel might not become to us a dull and boring and past thing. But we pray that you would renew our hearts in love for yourself, for having shone the light of the knowledge of God in the face of the glory of God in the face of Christ, for having done that in our hearts. Thank you for the truth of all that Jesus has done for us and is for us. Thank you that the He is still and always will be our righteousness. We pray that we might grow more and more bedazzled by the wonder of the gospel. By the wonder of Jesus revealed in the gospel. By the glory of our Savior. We pray, Lord, that the more we go on in the Christian life, the more amazed we will be and the more captivated and entranced and the more strengthened we will be by the wonder of our glorious Redeemer. In whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.